Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to Thread, episode 134. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to Thread. It's the leader's Bible study. Thread is a verse-by-verse study of the teachings of Jesus and the life of the New Testament church. We're looking for lessons that apply especially to our lives as leaders because... Well, we want to become more influential in the lives of other people. And today's thread is all about increasing our influence. It's on spiritual authority. The impact of Paul's life is really, to me, something of a marvel. He was just a man. He was one man. And he didn't have much money. He didn't have a big operation. Yet his daily actions caused his life to have tremendous impact on other people. I mean, on people, on whole families, on organizations and institutions, even on whole cities when he lived there. You know, as our lessons show us in the last one, if Paul got on a ship as a prisoner along with 300 other people, it didn't take him long to rise among them until his shadow as a spiritual mentor rested upon even the Roman centurion in charge of his imprisonment. So today we want to look at the specifics on Paul's habits regarding uh, gaining influence as God's agent of change in the world. So as I look at all we've learned during our many weeks of studying Paul's life through the book of Acts, I can see seven things he did. And uh, the older I get, the more I, I realize that only action drives things forward. So we're looking for daily actions done by Paul, not not what he thought about, not his belief system, but just the things he did that resulted in having such powerful influence over other people. So let's dive in. I found seven things. Number one, Paul focused on relationship building at all times. I mean, he really understood that ministry is not about your position it's not about your doctrine that you're, you know, trying to push. It's not about your educational achievements. It's not about the name of the organization that you're all there to support. Ministry is about connecting with people. It's about working to get inside their heart and then doing all you can to set them free and to build them up in Christ and to release them into their own ministry. You know, as God begins to lead them directly to do his will in their lives. So, I mean, it's, it's working with people. Let me go over that again. To set them free, number one, to build them up in Christ and to release them into their own ministry. And th- that's all done through relationships. And Paul understood that, you know, relationships are the bridges of God. He was working on relationships every day. It's all about people. Some people get that and some people don't. Some people think it's, there's some objective thing that we're about. And that, um, you know, that's where all the Bible thumpers come from, is they don't understand it's people. So they can rant and rail on doctrinal issues. Not that doctrine isn't hugely important. It's just we're back to the, the same thing. You know, was the Sabbath made for man or was man made for the Sabbath? And, the you know, the legalist said man was made for the Sabbath. You know, we obey the Sabbath, obey the laws. And Jesus says the laws are there because man needs a Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is about humanity. So Paul got that. He understood it's about relationships and he was working relationally 
all the time. So if he's chained to a Roman guard, he's trying to build a relationship with the guard, whoever's beside him, you know, in the the restaurant. He wants to see if he can get a conversation going. He's always working relationally in the lives, even of his opponents. Okay, second thing, Paul built teams. You know, he was a a developer. I, I like the phrase building big people. You know, Paul was about building big people. And when when he left an area, you know, it didn't fall apart. There were always uh, other leaders left behind. The first thing he did when he was in a town was ordain elders. You know, he's always looking to see who is um, already a leader and to help shape their leadership so they can serve God better. So Paul is always, he works in a team. He's not a lone, you know, not a lone wolf. It's not all about him. Uh, he's building teams and he's he's releasing teams, sometimes with breathtaking speed, like Thessalonian church, three weeks, he's gone. And this church is set up with a leadership. So Paul built teams. Number three, Paul built his teaching on solid exposition of the Bible, uh, the whole Bible. You know, Paul often takes his his messages, and he'll start like Genesis, and he'll weave all the way through the scriptures. He built what he taught about Jesus, and he built what he spoke on from the Bible. And this is really important in our day because, you know, we're, we've got so many... Uh, I think we feel the pressure to be entertaining, and so some pastors work on their jokes all week. They work on their delivery, their... Sometimes a sermon is just a proof text as far as the Bible goes. You know, it's like one verse of Bible. You don't really need to bring it to church, and the message is not even going to marginally be about that. Um, you know, no need for smoking lights for Paul. No need for building a message around a TV show or endlessly quoting celebrities in his sermons. Paul grounded people in the Word. He encouraged them to study the word, study it for themselves, because he didn't want his influence to merely be personal. You know, he didn't want it to be about them and Paul. He wanted them to be grounded in the power of God's eternal word. And so he he anchored their faith in scripture so that when he was gone, you know, the word of God would abide and continue to bear fruit in their lives. Number four, Paul did whatever it took to communicate. He's a great communicator. And he understood the importance of the tone in communication. You know, sometimes we work so much on the words and we don't focus enough on our own attitude. You know, one time I did a, uh, a series of radio spots and I thought they were pretty good, you know, and my friend thought they were real good. And we released them to some other um, people that didn't even know me. And when they listened to the spots, they said, you know, it has a tone. And as I listened to it, I got it. It sounded a little bit, you know, down on people for not doing the right things. So I just, I wasn't aware I had that tone. And I was so grateful for critique because, uh, you know, critique frees us. We need critique. It's hard to take, but man, you never grow through a compliment. It just honors what you're already doing that's good. If you want to improve, you have to learn to love critique and uh, especially if you want to learn love communicating so Paul understood it's about tone he was quick to find common ground at the beginning of his talks he would work to bond with his audience whether it was one person or a thousand people 
Uh, he knew the message always, the one sentence. He knew the message he was there to communicate. And he cut out everything that would compete with that message. And then he drove that message home with so much passion. I mean, you could always tell that Paul was a true believer. And he earnestly contended to make you a believer too. So that's number four. Paul was an awesome communicator. And he did whatever it took to communicate with people every day. Number five, Paul was careful about the integration of his daily life with the gospel he preached. He made sure it matched. And that's what the word integrity means, the integration of uh, you know the ideals that we believe in and the actual behavior of our life on a daily basis. Number six, Paul relied on the inevitable supernatural activity of God. I mean, he truly believed that the Holy Spirit would be present any time he opened his mouth and stepped into the spotlight and ministered to a person in the name of the Lord. Paul knew that his merely human endeavor was going to be insufficient to change anybody's life. So he would do his part, but Paul craved and he expected the Holy Spirit to break in and take over and bring transformation directly into the life of that person because that's the only way it works. So let's ponder that, having the total faith and reliance on the Holy Spirit to overcome all these barriers. And number seven, and this is really important, especially for me as an introverted person, I have to think about this a lot. Paul refused to go unnoticed. You know, I'm really happy to be unnoticed. I'm happy to be unnoticed on an airplane, unnoticed in a restaurant, unnoticed in a coffee shop. Uh, Paul refused to be unnoticed. He would not be this forgettable, nice guy. He made things happen. Wherever he was, he was on mission, and he stepped up. He got people's attention, and then he used that attention to get a chance to communicate about Jesus. And all this is about spiritual authority. And it's um, it's part of a larger discussion about what it means to be made in the image of God. Because when the Scripture says, God has made us in his image. It means we bear his authority on the earth. We use our lives to make things happen in the world that are in alignment with his will and his heart. That's what his kingdom is. It's God's will being done on earth among humans. And we make that happen. And uh, we need to have confidence that we have this authority to impact others, whether whether we're conscious of it and whether they're conscious of it, we have authority. We have spiritual authority not to boss them around, not to abuse them in any way, not to uh, take advantage of them. But God has given us his authority in creating us in his image. It's our superpower. And we need to build our faith in this authority and release it with growing boldness. And I really think this might be the number one key to a life of influence. Uh, the confidence that you have authority over people. And I think that's why Paul could speak up. You know, he could he could uh, draw attention to himself. He could engage people. He could push in because he knew that the Holy Spirit was there. God was going to back him up, that he had the authority to do that. Jesus said, hey, guys, good news. You know, when he came back from the dead, good news. I've got all authority now and I'm giving it to you. So now let's go to our passage. Um, let's look at the situation and how these seven things play out. I'm not going to make reference to them again, so don't, don't be worried about this taking two hours. Uh, Acts chapter 
28 verses 1 through, we'll get to about verse 13, but we're just going to kind of breeze through it today. I mean, the backstory is pretty impressive, huh? Here's Paul. He's a prisoner. He's half starved. He's been 14 days without food. He is hypothermic from being shipwrecked in stormy winter seas. He drags himself out of a raging sea up onto a beach. Not long after, he suffers a deadly venomous snake bite. All his possessions are gone. All of his money, his clothing is torn and wet. And yet, Paul is totally... (laughs) Uh, in charge. You know, he is not bound. There's an aura of greatness and grace that just surrounds him. And that thing that I don't, not new age, but I'm still going to use the word, that aura of greatness, you know, that, that aura of grace that is all over him, that anointing, that thing influences people and it makes them look up to him. You know, Paul says, you have received an anointing. And, um, and he says that to others. He believes that he has this anointing, and all of God's children do too. So this thing makes other people look at him. It makes them look up to him because, you know, water flows downhill. So you can't minister to people unless they believe that you are ahead of them in some way. They have to believe that you're in some way, you know more, you're wiser, you're closer to God, you're more mature, something has to draw them to you. And this something is not a human achievement. That won't work for what we are trying to accomplish. Uh, They need to be drawn to us by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and our confidence that we have that. So the ship, you know, wrecks on Malta. Malta is not big. It's like a couple football fields. It's a really small island. Uh, But verse 2 talks about divine favor. You know, how um, Paul's life has been saved because of the favor God gave him, you know, first of all, with the uh, commander of the ship, uh, the the centurion, because they wanted to, the other soldiers wanted to kill all prisoners so they themselves would not be chargeable if any escaped. And so now Paul finds himself, verse 2, on the island, it says, the natives showed us unusual kindness. They made a fire. They made us all welcome because rain was falling and it was cold. And verse 3, we see Paul taking on the form of a servant and he is gathering up uh, sticks to keep everybody warm and he's got wood and he reaches into the wood pile and grabs a big bundle of it and there is a snake in there, a poisonous snake that bites him and everybody watching the local people look at him and say, ah, He is probably a murderer, and although he got away from the sea, the goddess justice will not allow him to survive. So that's why he's being punished. And then in verse 5, and you just got to love Paul's attitude. You know, he's got a venomous snake hanging on his hand. And verse 5 says, Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You know, it's Paul's, we're back to his confidence again. He just has so much authority. He gets bent by a snake and doesn't go, oh gosh, oh gosh, I'm going to die. He just, he remembers Mark 16, 18, you know, the promise of Jesus. And uh, if you are bitten by serpents, they will not harm you. And he shakes the thing off like it's Satan into the fire, you know, oh, it's just you. And this leads to a God moment. 
No harm is done to him. And verse 6, the most important thing happens. It says they changed their minds. And that is what Paul is always after because it's what God is always after. He's changing their minds. Unfortunately, they changed their mind to the position that, oh, he must be a god. Uh, now, the one thing is positive, you know, they're being superstitious and they're just interpreting the situation the best way that their worldview will allow them. But the point is the supernatural rests upon Paul. Even pagans can see that God is present with him. And that's important. And, uh, you know, we need to honor that and, and stand on it ourselves. Now, there is a big estate on this island. You know, there's always going to be somebody rich uh, who's kind of the leader and who's in charge of things. And sure enough, here was a man named Publius. He has this big estate and he received us. I don't know how many people are in the us, but at least it's Paul and Luke and whoever Paul's, uh, you know, traveling buddies were, uh, a group, because Luke says us, went in to see Publius. He entertained us for three days. And so now they've got, you know, a warm place, great food, their spirits are rising. And it, as is going on, verse 8, Paul learns that the father of Publius is sick, that he's got a fever and he's got dysentery. And instead of being afraid of that, sounds contagious to me, Paul goes right into him, lays hands on him, and prays for him, and heals him. Paul, again, he expects the supernatural inbreaking of God. If he will step up and represent, then he believes that God will back him up. And that, again, is exactly what the Scripture says. In some way, God will back you up. That's Mark sixteen twenty. If you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Hebrews 2, 4 says, when we bear witness about Jesus, we declare Jesus Hebrews 2.4 says, God himself bears witness with miracles, signs, and wonders. And God does these things to bear witness to the truth about his son. Now, this healing miracle leads to three months of healing and evangelistic ministry on this island. The people of the island come to know Paul, Paul's God. Now, you know, it's interesting because Luke is in the Luke is there with Paul. Luke is a trained, skilled physician. But Luke is not stepping forward here, you know, to, to render medical care in the traditional sense, which might heal the people's sickness. It would only also bring, uh, sort of bring honor to Luke. You could say, yeah, it honors God because they see our love. But they need a supernatural Awakening. They need to realize this isn't just a philosophy. There's a living God behind us, and he intervenes in human lives, and they need to see a miracle. And so miracle ministry, you know, even I, I would love to have been there and seen Luke laying hands on people, because I believe he did, that they might be healed, understanding that, you know, healing comes from God. Our, our bodies are built to restore themselves, but there are many times that we just need the Lord in a supernatural way to immediately heal diseases. And as he does this, it, it points directly to him that there is a living God and he made our bodies and he can heal our body. Uh, now, verse 10 says, uh, when we were leaving, now it was time to go away. And it says they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. This is pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's a byproduct. 
of honoring God. And it is something that we have to handle with integrity and be a little bit careful about. It says they honored us. You know, we honor God and we're there to work to increase his glory. And then the result is that the people honor us. And the problem is they work to increase our glory. They say nice things about us. And this can become problematic if we allow it. I've seen guys that love it, and uh, I think we need to be scared of it. In most cases, it's just simple gratitude. And as in this story, it's the means through which God meets our personal needs in the ministry. Because as, as you minister to people and as you bring them to the light and their lives are changed and they go up in life, uh, they remember you and they honor you and they meet your personal needs. And so there's so many blessings have come into my life because of grateful people uh, who minister back to us and provide the things that we need. And some things I haven't needed, just perks, uh, beautiful, beautiful experiences uh, that people have provided for us as we have lived our life in ministry. So, you know, I don't want to use abuse that and I don't want to needle for it and I don't want to be corrupted by it. But it is God's method, because in this case, Paul and company have lost everything they own in the shipwreck. That shipwreck was needed. It was ordained by God as a testimony to the soldiers and the crew of that ship. And the shipwreck led to the evangelization of this entire island of Malta and all the people who live on it. But in the shipwreck, they lost everything. And God restored, you know, God doesn't owe anybody. He pays debt. And God restores everything that was lost with new stuff. And so now they've got new clothes, warm clothes, nice shoes, strong stuff again for their journey to Rome and the life that they're going to be living there in Rome. You know, as Paul's going to find himself under under arrest for years uh, in Rome and these people meet his needs on his way. And so they get on the ship and they push out to sea after the winter has passed. Probably now they're in, I guess, late February and they land on the Italian continent. And then they circle around and they go to land at Puteoli and they get, uh, they go landward at that point. And we're going to pick that up in our next reading of this story as we move toward the conclusion of the book of Acts. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, please uh, share it. Uh, if you'd say something about it on your Facebook page or leave a comment and a rating at iTunes, you can always find us in iTunes. You just, uh, Type in Thread with Chuck Quinley, and it'll pop right up. And if you want to contact me directly, uh, check out the link on the MediaLightOnline.com website. We've got over 100 videos that you can have to uh, strengthen you in your leadership, and I'd love for you to take advantage of that. We've got a free course that we're offering right now on uh, how to use your cell phone uh, as, a, as a mobile production device and make awesome videos. And it's an important part of ministry now is the knowledge of how to use modern media tools to communicate. So check it all out. We've got a lot of resources for you on MediaLightOnline.com. Thanks again. Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.